listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today, we're going to be talking about outsourcing your sales efforts. And to help us do that, we have with us Todd Handy, VP and Managing Director at MarketStar. Todd, thank you very much for taking time to be on the show today. Thanks, Chad. It's my pleasure. So we always start with a kind of off-the-wall question. If you look back over your career, uh, and this can be business or personal, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you decide to share. (laughs) We're looking for a defining moment, (laughs) something that you go back to time and time again, maybe change the trajectory of your career or lessons that you learned, you know, kind of what was that moment and what did you learn from it? Uh, Wow, that's that's, uh, an easy one for me to think through and and come up with. I think that there are really two types of folks in the sales arena. There are those who uh, set out specifically to go into sales because they thought they uh, saw something about it that they liked or they thought their personality lent itself to it. And then there are those who uh, oftentimes find themselves more accidentally in sales. I'm more of uh, the latter than the former. I have a training background uh, and I had done a lot of training and I had done general management as well. But I had never really considered sales, wasn't sure that I wanted to be that sales guy and so forth, because I equated the bad side of, of our industry with that, the used car <laughs> salesman and so forth, right? I, I felt like sales was, was not what uh, I wanted to do. And uh, uh, a few years into my, my professional career, an opportunity arose, and my boss said, hey, I'd like you to manage this sales team. And I said, well, tell me why. And we talked about that. And and she gave all the reasons why she thought that it was a great fit. And so I got involved in that. And what I learned very quickly was that training is all about educating. And sales, frankly, is all about educating as well, if it's done right. Uh, Of course, we need to close. We need to write up the ticket. We need to ring the cash register, everything else. But what we know from a sales standpoint is if we're not educating our prospects on what we do and what the product does, as well as what value it will bring to them and some X factor, right? They're going to pay some number and they're going to have a multiplier on that that they will expect to see as a return. So uh, that would probably be the thing that was most eye-opening to me was that what I had done and had been doing really didn't have to change because it was educating. It was just in a different arena that I was educating. Well, that's an interesting transition, right? Because I've seen a lot of salespeople go the other direction, that, that think because they can sell, they can train. Uh, I'm kind of on the fence on that one. But coming the other direction, uh, you had to, there had to be so many similarities that it didn't feel too uncomfortable, I would assume. No, it really didn't feel uncomfortable. And, and you know, if you think about it, uh, your sales collateral is not much different than your training manual or what you hand out to your training classes uh, to en- enable them to understand what it is that you're going to discuss today or tomorrow or to break things down in uh, manageable chunks. And that was clearly way before the the distributed training that we have now and the technology and so forth. But yeah, it, it didn't seem all that uh, foreign to me. Clearly, I had to learn a lot of vernacular and I had to learn um, some different stages and so forth that maybe weren't necessarily laid out just like training. But uh, it was interesting for me to go through that journey. Excellent. And for our listeners now, can you give them a little context around MarketStar and your role there? Sure. So MarketStar 
next year we'll celebrate 30 years uh, in business, which in and of itself uh, is quite an anomaly. Most businesses don't make it that long. The company uh, is in the outsourced uh, channel and direct sales and marketing industry. And what that means basically is this. Companies hire us to do sales and marketing for them, either in the partner channel, uh, two-tier distribution, and uh, through VARs and distributors and uh, system integrators and so forth, or in a direct motion. And that could be direct sales, phone sales. It's uh, also field sales. And then we have several ancillary roles around that. We have lead generation on the front end. We have account management on the back end. And over the last little while, in, in my role within MarketStar, is to build out our business unit, which is in the direct space, but it's our digital media and our ad tech business unit. So the history of MarketStar was in IT, CE, high tech, and so forth. So the Intels and Cisco's and HP's and others of the world. And over the last little while, and, and now especially as we're putting this business unit together, it's more eBay and uh, Pinterest and AdRoll that are coming on. And so we're adding to this history that we've had within IT, CE, and high tech. We're bringing in digital media and ad tech as well to leverage all of the things that we've done from a sales standpoint and processes and everything else to help those clients who also can use our help. So I hope that explained it. Um, my wife and kids are still sometimes now exactly what is it that you do? So, <laughs> yeah, I've heard that question too. <laughs> so when, when, and why should a company consider outsourcing their sales team? I mean, there there are sales execs out there that would probably cringe at that at that thought. And I'd be curious also as a as a follow on to find out kind of what kind of pushback you get. But let's start with when and why should a company consider outsourcing their sales efforts? Yeah, yeah. You would think as a sales guy, my answer would be they should always do so, and they should, <laughs> and and they should do it right now. <laughs> but the the truth is, outsourcing isn't necessarily for everyone. Um, and so, the best way that I could say that you could look at it is, outsourcing is basically asking someone who has a core competency in something that maybe you don't have a core competency in to do that for you or with you, if you will. Uh, and so if, if this is a company that has nailed their sales processes and they are meeting all of their KPIs and they're clearing all of their inventory and everything else, there probably isn't as much of a role for outsourcing unless they feel like they can get some cost savings. Maybe they can move uh, to a lower cost uh, geography or a uh, delivery model that lends itself to lower costs or Maybe they just don't want to have the fixed expenses anymore. That really would be maybe the only thing that someone who has absolutely nailed their sales would say would be a reason they would do it. But I think we would all agree that most of us have uh, never worked at a company where we've nailed all our sales. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. I was like, so then everybody should because I don't well, know well, yeah. using it. <laughs> and, and, I, and I don't mean that to sound uh, facetious or flip, flippant. Oh, no. <laughs> there, there, there will definitely be times when it doesn't make sense to outsource. But the answer to the question then, uh, it really is when the company feels like it doesn't have that core competency or it doesn't feel like it has the ability to scale or it doesn't feel like it's as innovative or as good at delivering the sales in a specific model or whatever the case may be. It's, it's, it's for those companies who say, 
Would we like to save some cost? Yeah, there can uh, definitely be cost savings. Sometimes it's not necessarily a cost saving, but it's a greater ROI because we or another outsourcer maybe are close to the same in the cost, but we deliver you know, 1x, 3x, 5x, whatever the X factor is of sales so they get a better ROI. So it's is sales core to you or is there something about what you're trying to do that you can't scale or you can't deliver maybe the way you would want to? Or probably the, the easiest example is simply a lot of times the company uh, is really good at the enterprise but maybe doesn't know mid-market and doesn't know how to access SMB. And we cover all of those, but we've really done a lot over the years in augmenting sales teams in mid-market and, and SMB, which those companies either don't have an interest in doing themselves, but they know that they can get incremental revenue and so forth. So it's less about the the size of the deals that they're going after. Say, we're, if you know, if they're targeting enterprise versus SMB, it's really more about whether or not they consider sales and revenue generation core to what they're bringing to the party. I, I think that's a really good uh, way to put it. And, and I think they also have to be honest with themselves uh, because I think everyone would say, oh, we're, we're good at doing this. And if you're a product company, sometimes you're not. Um, we're a services company. And so I would be the first to say if we tried to build a physical product, we would probably fail. That's not what we do. And so it does require a little bit, bit of introspection on the part of the executive sponsor and whoever else is making the decision as to whether or not that's something that they feel would be good for them. And, and so what about length of sales cycle and complexity? Does it make sense if you're doing a more, uh, I don't want to say transactional because I don't honestly believe that, I don't believe that's going to make a lot of sense. But let's say if it's a six-week versus a 18-month sales cycle, does one lend itself to outsourcing sales over the other or are you set up to handle both? Yeah, so I, I, think, I think the answer is we're, we're, we and probably all other outsourcers are set up to handle both of those. That really is going to depend on what level of patience the company who's outsourcing has. If, it is an eight, if it's an 18-month sales cycle, uh, honestly, it may take us 18 months to learn whether or not we're being as effective as, as we want to be because of by the nature of the, of the sales cycle, right? Now, when I say that, Again, I don't mean to sound facetious, but that's no different than the company if they have a captive themselves. If they have an 18-month sales cycle and they hire Todd to do sales for them and he looks like everything is going great until month 16 when something falls apart that you wouldn't have known until month 16, that requires patience. And so that probably would be a little bit more difficult, but at the same time, you're going to expect for an 18-month sales cycle a very high price point and probably some very great margin dollars. And so you probably have the appetite for that. But uh, I think something that would be in a shorter sales cycle with uh, digital media, that's going to be 90 to 120 days sales cycle. But there are others, uh, cloud services providers that we work with, where it takes a lot less time. It's a, it's a month trial. And once you've tried it, it's okay, let's scale your company and so forth. So it's going to be partly the patience level that the client has with regard to when they want to see the uh, the return or at least the movement, the ramp, if you will. And then it's also going to depend on what that sales cycle is, what the, the ticket price is, and how quickly you can show uh, ramp to revenue. 
Okay. And so can you give us an example of, of metrics or results you've generated uh, for clients to kind of give us a little bit more context on kind of the ROI? Yeah. So um, for, for one of our large uh, IT high-tech clients, we have uh, for years carried uh, a $1 billion plus quota. Uh, that's a quota that we bear, that we're responsible for. For several of our other clients, uh, we bear quotas in the hundreds of millions of dollars. So, and so when, does that? So sorry to interrupt, but not, that's, no. a, that's amazing. So, a billion dollar quota. So, are they? Do they also have internal sales, or are they outsourcing one hundred percent of it to you guys? No, in, in that case, they would have internal sales as well. So then they treat your entire organization essentially as a rep, I would think, with a billion dollar quota. Yeah, basically, um, although it's never quite that simple. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, true. <laughs> be, because because that, that, that billion dollars might be made up of multiple statements of work with multiple lines of business and so forth. And so uh, there would be a lot of different stakeholders and so forth, and it would be multiple teams within, within MarketStar. But uh, yeah, in, in, in almost every case, we carry a quota of some kind that we're held responsible for. And we are working to deliver against that, knowing that that quota has certainly been set by that client to provide uh, whatever target ROI that they're looking for. Okay. And is, and is it better, like the different types of roles, right? We've gotten to this point in sales where I think it's a little bit ridiculous how segmented we've made the profession. But is it easier to outsource SDRs versus account execs versus account managers, you know, I mean, you, you said you touched them all, but from your experience, is there one that seems a little quicker to ROI for a customer? Yeah, I think, I think the clear answer there is inside sales because it has a specific dollar amount associated with it and you can tie it directly to the close of that sale. It's a little more difficult with a lead development rep to tie it directly to that because although that rep was uh, the one who generated the sales accepted lead that became the opportunity that became the close, there are those who are going to argue, listen, all you had to do was tee it up and then the salesperson had to actually close it, overcome the objections, do all the hard work, right? Yeah. And, and on the other end of the, of the equation, the account manager, uh, once the seller is done with it, in many motions, the seller uh, closes the deal, hands it over to an implementation team or an ad operations team in digital media or, or whatever the case may be for, for that vertical. And then it gets implemented and then someone needs to manage it from there on out. And you could argue that this account manager managing a $5 million ongoing uh, annual revenue account, let's say, is really great for doing that. But the seller would say, yeah, if I hadn't landed that, you wouldn't be managing it. So it, it we've, we've uh, definitely done a really good job of uh, better segmented, to your point, the, the sales motions and how that all works. But everyone will have a way that they can lay claim to part of that. And uh, on the other side, where you can refute that they really were the ones that brought that revenue. So I, I think I would have to say inside sales is probably the one where you can tie that most directly to it. Well, and I'll tell you, having having built and run sales teams for several organizations, there's a lot of there would have been a lot of value to me uh, in you handling the BS that happens between SR, SDRs, account execs, and account managers, because that infight it used to be it was just sales against marketing. 
now we've got all these roles and SDRs. Well, you wouldn't have got the deal if I didn't set the meeting. And the AE's like, well, if I didn't close it, the account manager wouldn't have anything. Look, all of those things, I've done them all. I've managed them all. They all take a level of professionalism and discipline and focus. So everybody stop. Stop your whining. I'm obviously not a very patient individual. <laughs> so the value to me in outsourcing my sales would have been just coming to you and saying, hey, Todd, here's what I need. You deal with the personalities because I really want to focus on the business. Right, right. <laughs> well, and, 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 and frankly, that's where a lot of clients find themselves where they simply say, listen, we, we are good at what we're good at. And we've heard from uh, uh, referrals that you are good at what you're good at. And so we know that you've got processes and systems and all of uh, the connective tissue and everything else. And so let us be good at what we're good at and, and let you be good at what you're good at. I mean, we, we have uh, 87% of our clients come from referrals. Oh, wow. Excellent. And so how do you onboard? So, I mean, if you guys outsource sales and you've got a sales exec, one of the, I think one of the things that would get my attention running a team would be, okay, this is what you focus on. This is what you're good at. So help me understand how you onboard, how you determine who you're going to hire, how you onboard them, how you make sure that you're running the, you know, top tier sales organization that other people should tap into instead of, you know, going through the slog of trying to build it themselves. What are you doing that helps create that, um, that differentiation between, you know, build it versus buy it? Right. Well, that's that's really where the rubber hits the road, because uh, if we don't select the right folks and don't train them properly, then the ramp to revenue is either slower or non-existent or, or, or whatever the case may be. And so we uh, work very diligently to make sure that we're uh, as solid as we can be in the sourcing and in the hiring. We're uh, in 2018, one of one of my most strategic initiatives and frankly, it is with my peers as well in the other business units, is to do an even better job of implementing predictive analytics to help us in, in completely understand where someone will be successful. So uh, if I take a look at my star sellers on, uh, on, on in a certain line of business, and I do some regression analysis, and I use some tools with some predictive uh, analytics and so forth, and put all of that together and it says, okay, you've interviewed Todd and based on Todd's answers and based on his resumes and experience and based on the profile that we've built of him, we have a high uh, confidence level that he'll do well in this job. That helps us so much more than the way all of us were raised, which is you look at the resume, <laughs> is, our sale, is, is, is our sales on the re resume, there's not throw it out. And then, oh, there is sales on the resume, so put it over here. And then, and then, who's been selling the longest? Who says they had President's Club? All those kinds of things, right? Um, I, I'll be the first to say, and, and I think most people agree, I'm not 100% on hiring. I've made some bad hiring decisions. And so that's where, to answer the question, we need to do a better job. And that's one of the things we'll be doing in 2018 with a strategic initiative of getting better predictive analytics and a better confidence interval in the folks that we're hiring and then training them. Uh, so we have uh, a pretty, pretty well-rounded and robust curriculum for sales in general, right? So how do you sell? How do you overcome objections? How do you get past the gatekeeper? How do you do all of the things to manage your pipeline and how do you nurture? Those things that are 101 for sales, of course, but then we have to layer onto that 
something from the client because we're not them. We're not good at their specific piece of business. I may have many people who sell digital media, but they might not sell digital media for X client. And so I need their insight or uh, high tech or whatever. So we've got a really great curriculum and we put them through this robust curriculum to get them ready for sale selling. And then we have to layer on all of the features, functions, benefits, pricing, processes, everything else that the client brings, meld all that together, hit the floor and, and, and start figuring out what we're doing right and doing wrong and, and make iterations. And is there a specific sales methodology that you guys uh, invest in and believe in and teach uh, the sales reps or is it something you guys developed internally? Yeah, so uh, we follow a methodology called AOR, uh, Activities, Objectives, Results. Uh, there's a book called Cracking the Sales Management Code that uh, speaks a lot to that. And it is uh, a methodology that we are working to infuse throughout our organization. And it simply is that you work with your reps to understand those activities which lead to certain objectives, which lead to the results that are necessary. Most of the time, we know results is going to be a quota. It's going to be revenue or something because that's the end-all, be-all. Then we're going to work back from there. So we're going to say uh, 12 calls per day or 30 calls per day based on, you know, if it's transactional, whatever the case may be, and uh, 20 emails and whatever activities whatsoever. Those are going to go up to the next level that are going to lead to uh, DM conversations, decision maker conversations or proposals or pitches or whatever you uh, deem to be your objectives, which are then going to lead up to be your results. And so within this AOR framework, we have uh, a system that the manager can sit down with the rep and, and, and look at the results over a specified period and see how they're doing on the A's, the O's, the R's. Uh, if it's red, obviously we're below. If it's green, we're there or above. But then the rep can also say, okay, if I were to change this number of calls that I had in the last week, if, if I had X and I put another uh, 50% on top of that, I type in this new number, they see it cascade upwards. It says, okay, this would have led to that many more pitches, which would allow to that much more revenue based on an established close rate and so forth. And so Everyone has a different methodology, and there's uh, value in, in every one of them. And there are also certainly ways that you can game systems and so forth. But we feel like this helps us to focus on ultimately the results and not so much with the seller saying, why are you micromanaging me? Well, I'm not micromanaging you. I'm just saying that if you're not making enough calls, it doesn't lead to enough DM conversations, and it just doesn't lead to enough revenue. <laughs> yeah. Right. You're so, not so paid for doing nothing. Yeah, yeah I'm not I'm not micromanaging. I'm not micromanaging your calls. I'm I'm expecting results. And this is what the results are required to be based on what our client is requiring from us. And so let's figure out what level down here of A's is going to lead to what level of O's to meet the number of R's that you need. And so in that type of approach and outsourcing, you guys work with a bunch of different clients. Do you find it easier to recruit and attract uh, let's say raw talent, let's say younger, um, younger people that are, you know, putting their first toe in the water in sales or, the, you know, those ultra high performers who maybe don't want to sell the same thing for the next 30 years. They, they prefer the variety of, you know, the different clients that you guys bring to the table. Is there, do you see it easier to attract and or train th those different types of, of individuals? 
So I, I'd love to, to give you the definitive answer. It, it becomes the consulting answer of it depends. <laughs> and, and here's, here's, here's why it depends because we work with uh, such disparate clients in, in different industries. Um, there, there isn't a, uh, a specific right or wrong, but here's what I can tell you maybe in general. And, and that is this, uh, over this the last little while, in discussions with uh, a lot of my managers, I've heard a lot of them saying that they're looking less and less for people who have years and years of sales experience because they feel like when those folks come on board, they're less flexible. They uh, have their way of doing things and they're not open to new ways of doing them. Whereas when they look at folks who have less sales experience, but they've got good customer service experience or something demonstrable that they're more flexible, that they're more coachable and, and willing to, to learn and so forth. Again, that's where the it depends comes in because if it's back to your earlier point about an 18 month sales cycle, that's probably a very technical sale. It's probably a very high ticket sale. And you might need folks who have years of experience in that industry to come in. If it's uh, a, a lower sales cycle, a lower price point, uh, a little more transactional, where you're going to burn in, through a lot of those, then you can probably afford to have someone who can learn on the job a little bit more, quote unquote, to, to get where you need to be. So that's where the it depends comes in. Yeah, and, I, and I guess it's not surprising. I mean, doing you know sales enablement, sales training. I always like having the, the, I call them the crusty old guys in the back of the room. Now I am one of those guys. Actually, when I first got trained, I was that guy in the back of the room. Like, why the hell am I in here? But those, those guys do have a lot of value, but I wonder if that comes more, if it's more of a result of the way sales has been historically and the way they came up through sales and the fact that now all this technological change that we've seen, you know, in the B2C space and across marketing and sales stacks and all of the tech stacks and all that stuff is creating the need for for a much more fluid type of sales professional. Is that something you guys are talking about internally or have come up against? So, you know, it's interesting because the last uh, eight, nine, 10 years of my career have been in the, in the media space. And this has been an ongoing discussion in media, especially in local media. So think newspaper, radio, t TV. Newspaper was disrupted early on and has been struggling. TV uh, has has stood the test of time a little bit better, but it's starting to be disrupted by YouTube and Hulu and Netflix and so forth. And one of the, the, the biggest debates that rages in, in local media is, do you take your legacy sellers and do you give them digital to sell as well? When we know that some of them don't know digital all that well, don't care about digital, they're passionate about the media they've sold and maybe don't want to learn the new trick. Or do you take completely brand new digital folks who are uh, good at digital and sell those, but who don't have the account relationships and who don't have the entree into the, uh, the big spenders and so forth. That has raged for quite some time. And th there's camps on both sides of that. And, and the same thing plays out here as well, where, yeah, we definitely need the folks who have the tribal knowledge, if you will, the crusty old folks who can bring some of that to the table but we also need the adaptability and flexibility. And, and there are crusty old guys who can be flexible and there are brand new, <laughs> brand new folks who are inflexible, right? You, it, 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 if, if we could just hire um, an entire wave of folks and they all look the same, that'd be great. But unfortunately, it's, it's a people management business and everyone is a little bit different. Yeah. yeah. And, and it, I mean, at the end of the day, people buy from people and some people are willing to make the changes necessary to stay current and and up to date and others aren't i mean i think some of that's just 
pure human behavior type of stuff. It's it's always been an interesting question for me because having run sales teams and and built them, I I always found myself trying to stay away from my own internal bias of I don't want to have to teach this person from the ground up. But just like you said, there's headaches on both sides of that. It's like what type of person are you is really I think the key to that equation. Yeah, I think I think we look at someone who doesn't fit our uh, target resume and say, yeah, they're not worth my time because I need to get ramped to revenue really quickly. But then we fail to realize that by bringing in the folks who have been doing this for quite some time and who won't bend themselves to our will or our processes or whatever, that we probably ultimately end up taking maybe the same amount of time, maybe not. But uh, over the long term, we end up maybe with folks who can't be flexible when new products come on or when new sales methodologies come on or whatever. You can fall on either side of those, and there's going to be an argument for and against each of those. But um, that's where we, we try to fit the right profile with the right client based on what the job is. And obviously, even within that, you know, the hunters and farmers and, and that whole methodology and, and everything else. Well, and then so in, in terms of the trends of outsourcing sales teams, are you familiar with and I, I know I'm totally catching you off guard here because I did not put this in the notes when I sent it to you, but it just dawned on me. Have you seen uh, SwarmSales.com? Have you seen so, the, the website? So I'm not familiar with uh, SwarmSales.com. I'm familiar with the Swarm methodology within Agile, and it, that almost lends itself to what that might be. But no, you didn't put it in the notes. Now you've made me look bad. And so I've said, <laughs> I've said I don't know anything about it, so educate me. Well, it's just it's interesting, right? And it's a, it's a company – company out of Minneapolis that they just launched, I want to say earlier this year, but essentially it's like a clearinghouse for uh, companies that want to go out like, um, I'm trying to think what the last one I saw was, the company that sells art to hotels to put in the hotel rooms will put a contract up on swarm sales or a site like that, and then sales reps can... And it'll tell you it's worth, you know, 35% of the commission or 40% commission, whatever it is. And then sales reps can like pull that down and go sell it. Um, not without any, without any affiliation really to the company. I mean, they're selling their product and stuff, but it's really kind of like crowdsourcing your outsourced sales team. I'm, I'm going to be really curious to see how that trend continues to evolve. I could see it being effective maybe in really small scale transactional sales, but there are some sales up there that are more, B2B complex. I was just wondering if you've seen anything like that or run into that uh, in that in the outsourcing arena. Uh, I'll be honest, I haven't necessarily seen that. Um, and there may be many of my uh, colleagues who, who have and would have been able to speak better to it than, than I am now. But what that makes me think of is the thumbtacks and the task rabbits and the others of the world where <laughs> Where we've said, hey, let's let's get a handyman and let's put it out there and let's let people bid on it and let's get folks who will come in and do it. And, and I'm very much uh, a fan of disruption. And so that has disrupted yellow pages and online directories and so forth. But my guess would be I haven't spent a lot of time in those companies. But my guess would be that there is a lot of back-end headache for those companies to make sure that they get people who are bonded, who are honest, who aren't going to scam their uh, their customers and so forth. I mean, there's there's always going to be that. The same thing could be with with swarm sales or something else. You know, some one-off sales here and there would be great if it doesn't uh, require a lot of scale. If it scales, 
Now is this guy going to bring three of his friends who aren't necessarily well qualified just so he can make the sale? I certainly am not saying that their model's bad. I'm a big fan of disruption, but I think all of that lends itself to when you have new delivery methods, you also have new potential ways to game a system and new uh, necessity for quality checks and so forth. Well, and I think, I mean, you raise a really good point. For me, from my perspective, I would say the quality issue, right? So, okay, if I'm a company, the sales reps or the company that I choose to outsource my sales efforts to, they're an extension of my brand. They're an extension of my of the experience that I'm giving to my customers. And so working with somebody like MarketStar makes a lot more sense because it is much more collaborative. It's you, you know, it, There's a quality check in there. You guys are making sure you're hiring the right sales reps. You're working with the customer. The other, the swarm sales thing doesn't make sense to me if you're worried about your brand or the long-term experience, because it seems to me to be more like a contract hit, like, you know, go back to the old mafia days. Right. It just right. seems, it seems a little, I don't know, maybe because I've been in sales so long, I got a chip on my shoulder about people making fun of the sales profession, but it seems a little even slimy for their typical cliche. I mean, maybe it works and, and I could believe in situations that it could, but if there are organizations out there that are truly concerned about their brand and the sales experience that they're delivering, it would seem to me to make a hell of a lot more sense to work with a market star uh, where they're invested in making sure they're representing your company the correct way and the way you want to be represented. Actually, let me speak to that because you got to where I was thinking in that as well. And, and we both arrived at that same conclusion. Your earlier example, the the rep who wins the bid for the selling of the art to the hotels or whatever, let's say all the the inventory gets cleared and let's say it gets cleared at the price that uh, that the the seller wanted. But yeah, if the brand got hurt in in the process, that's not good. I'm certainly not suggesting that that's what happens in in that model. But I'll give you the market star version of that. So. Our folks are all dedicated to the client that they work for. We don't have shared programs where half the day you're calling for this one, another half day you're calling for that one, and then tomorrow you represent a different one. So first and foremost, our folks uh, are living within the confines of that client, and therefore they become experts at that client and its products and its value prop and everything else. But then the next part is, when uh, we are speaking to a customer and I'm on the line with that customer and while I'm on the line, he decides to look me up on LinkedIn. On LinkedIn, I've got the client name there, the client logo and the client title there because we don't need to have the friction of, wait a second, who's Market Star and how do they fit into all of this and everything else. The clients have us completely take on the persona of their company because we are. They're paying us. They're training us. They are authorizing us to represent them. And so that helps a lot. And you would not possibly be willing to do that if you thought that we were going to sully the name or the brand or do something that would be detrimental. And so I think that's something that speaks to the value of working with someone from an outsourcing standpoint who brings that knowledge and that security to the prospect as they say, hey, I think I might want to outsource with you. Yeah, yeah, I agree. For me, especially when you look at some of the latest data and and the reports, you know, state of sales reports from Salesforce last year, that concept of sales experience is becoming ever more increasingly important, especially in B2B. And and working with an outsourced firm, I could see how you could control that. Something like the swarm, and again, I don't mean to pick on swarm sales, there's probably other things out there. And 
Swarm Sales, if you're listening, I'm happy to have a conversation about it. But I just don't <laughs> understand. Uh, I don't understand how a company that is truly concerned about their brand and their their sales experience can control that. Maybe there are ways. Maybe it's built in. I don't know. Again, don't want to sell anybody's name. It just didn't make sense to me. But as we were thinking about outsourcing sales and trends in that area, I was just curious if you guys had run into it. Well, here's the only thing that comes to my mind is that's probably just yet another distribution channel. And so, uh, that, you know, uh, think of all of the discount retailers you can go to and you can get Nike shirts for a lot less than you can get at the Nike store. It's still the same Nike shirt. Right. Maybe it was bought, bought in, uh, you know, lots and, and sold off and so forth. It's just another distribution strategy and a way to clear inventory, maybe. So, Todd, what you're saying is it's the outlet version of true sales. <laughs> Kidding. Sorry. So, so I'm, def- I'm definitely going to get a hit put on me now because you put that, that all was, in my That mouth, was me. That so was me. Trouble. That's <laughs> that's me. No, I, I like the I like the analogy of the distribution uh, angle. I ha- hadn't thought about it like that, but okay. So anybody who's upset with Todd, it was me that asked the question. So come <laughs> after me on that one. And again, I'm willing I'm willing to engage in the debate anytime. So let's change direction here a little bit. Towards the end of uh, every interview, I ask two standard questions. And as an executive from MarketStar, that makes you a potential prospect for other people that are trying to sell services to MarketStar. I'm curious, from your perspective, somebody who doesn't know you, who believes they have a solution that, that you might be interested in, what's the best way to capture your attention, build credibility, and, and get in front of you? Oh, I love that question because um, the immediate answer that comes to my mind is the things not to do. Do not um, add me on Facebook and then the minute I accept it, uh, just go to town on me, right? I mean, we, we all know that. We all know that. I'm normally not going to accept your invitation. Every once in a while, I try not to connect with anybody that, that I haven't actually met face-to-face. Every once in a while, I might because I think I might want to be connected with them. And more than 50% of the time, I get burned. The minute I accept it, boom, hard sales pressure and so forth. So I, I would say that it is, if, if you want to get attention, um, I'm buying all day long. We're all buying all day long. If I have needs and you feel like you can fill that need, let me know that, but get it in front of me the right way. I'd much rather have an email um, that will quickly set the hook and let me know what uh, is the opportunity. And I will frankly respond and say, hey, I would like to know more or you know what, that's not my bailiwick. Let me forward it to someone else or simply no. Uh, and and so that's the first part is just come at me direct, but come at me very uh, quickly and succinctly, maybe a couple of bullet points. Let me uh, see what there is there. Don't try to sell me in the first email. Uh, frankly, don't try to sell me in the first phone call. But then if, uh, if I show some interest, then yeah, let's set up a call and I will give you some time if I feel like the, the, the value is there. It's a whole value exchange, right? It's, it's, is my time and your time, is it worth uh, us spending this together? So that's probably the, the way that I would answer it. Okay. And last question, we call it our acceleration insight. There was one thing you could tell a sales professional today that you believe if, if they actually heard you, and we could debate about salespeople's ability to listen later, but if they actually listened to you, would make them better tomorrow, what would it be and why? I think it would go back to, uh, I think it was the first question you asked. Uh, and in my response of, I had spent a whole bunch of time in training and in general management and then 
wasn't sure about sales and, and found that there is uh, a very close correlation between the two. I think if sellers can understand that asking more questions is better than asking less questions. Um, obviously, we want to ask the right questions. We want to ask them in the right way. We want to make sure that we're building credibility and we're not asking a question that was answered uh, five minutes ago and showing that we're not listening. Clearly, we've got to check all those boxes. But I think as sales folks, too many times, we're more interested in showing what we know than in understanding what the needs are. And so, you know, ask a couple more questions than you thought you should or ask a bonus question or something, because the more we know and the more we uncover, the better we can tailor that solution. And by asking more questions, I think we also open ourselves up to the prospect that they realize that we're not trying to be that guy or that gal who are the know-it-all, who are, you know, sit down, let me tell you about my product and you're going to buy it. So I think I would tie it back to the very beginning and, and say that's probably one of the things that would multiply for a lot of sellers. Yeah, powerful point and much appreciated. So, Todd, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to be on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure on my end. I, again, thank you for taking the time. That's my pleasure. Thanks so much. All right, everyone, that does it for this episode. Please check us out at www.b2brevexec.com. Share the episode with friends, families, coworkers. If you like what you hear, do us a favor. Leave us a review on iTunes. And until next time, we at Value Prime Solutions wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.